Hello, everybody. This is Kevin Witham, and welcome to Season 2 of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. In this season, we want to focus on practical discussions about unity within the Stone Campbell movement and beyond. Jesus valued unity and prayed for it, that we may all be one so that the world may know. We believe unity is best achieved through relationships rather than beginning with disagreements over doctrine, practice, or ideology. We value the gathering, breaking bread and sharing a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We invite you to gather with another Christian outside your particular family of churches and tell others that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another episode of the Common Ground Unity Podcast. Welcome back to our series, Lessons Learned from Mars Hill. This is our final Mars Hill episode, and we're calling it Beauty from the Ashes. Tina, I've got to say the feedback regarding our panel, Dr. Alicia Crumpton, Ben Brewster, and Kevin Holland, has been very positive. Several have suggested that we have this panel back for more episodes in the future. So, boy, I hope they'll return. Yeah, it definitely has been great. And I love the different perspectives of each of our panelists. You guys are fantastic. And hopefully more uh, feedback will come in because we really do appreciate the listeners telling us what they think about the different episodes and ideas they have on what they'd like us to cover next. So we've come a long way in this conversation. We discussed how transformation and toxicity can exist simultaneously, how incredible life change and damage can coexist in certain ministries and in life. And then when we turn hyper-masculinity narratives that contribute to toxic cultures, the cost of speaking up or not, and how to be a wise builder of healthy and sustainable ministries. Today, we want to explore the other side of toxic leadership or power cultures. How do we live, heal, grow, and flourish after the storm? How do we find rest in Jesus after we have been severely hurt by those within the church? Tina, before we get started... I'd like to read Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 3, the passage from which we're taking our title. Um, Here's what the prophet said. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Thanks, Kevin. That's just such a beautiful passage, and I'm really glad that we're ending on this as a focus. So let's go into this first clip uh, as we start this episode. Our story ends here with the fall of Mars Hill, 
with a scattered community where some are making beauty from ashes, some have disappeared into sad and broken places, and some are still here, but just trying to get by. Jesus seems to haunt these spaces and everyone in this story, though sometimes he remains entangled with the caricature they heard from Mark. I'd love to hear that someday soon, Driscoll took up Benjamin's invitation and called Paul Petrie. I'd love to find out that that was the first in a series of conversations marked by brokenness, repentance, grace, and humility. That's the heart of the gospel, and I know I'm not alone in hoping that its power gets put to work. Whether that reconciliation happens or not, I do know that nine churches, once affiliated with Mars Hill, will gather next Sunday to sing, take communion, and hear the word of God. I know that hundreds of Acts 29 churches will as well. It's hard to even begin to know how many hundreds or thousands of churches around the world will sing songs written by Mars Hill musicians like Zach Bolin, Joe Day, Brian Eichelberger, Cam Huxford, Chad Gardner, or one of the many more. Some former Mars Hill members will gather in homes, doing church very simply as they continue to reconstruct their faith. Some can't walk through the doors of a church yet without physical symptoms of fear and anxiety. Some haven't found spiritual homes at all since leaving Mars Hill, and some have embraced a life without faith. Others, tragically, have been captured by despair, fallen sick with addiction, even taken their lives. As I've said before, there are as many stories as there were people, and when I try to hold together both the beautiful and the sad, I confess I feel a deep melancholy. And I kind of think that's right. That's how it's supposed to be when we hold together goodness and brokenness. Where these stories go from here, I don't know, but I'm eager to see. And we may return to this story ourselves at some date in the future. What I do know is that despite the insistence that it might be otherwise, there's life and faith and community to be found outside the grip of an unhealthy church. And people are finding that now. Wherever one may be on the spiritual landscape, I hope those words can strike a chord. Good still happens and God is still present. It's an idea that's foundational for faith and for rebuilding faith, reminding us that life with God isn't mediated by charismatic individuals or broken institutions. It's an idea that Paul talked about in the book of Acts, telling a group of Athenians that all they enjoyed came from God, that he wasn't far off, and in fact, they lived, moved, and had their being in him. He gave this speech at the Areopagus, a rock outcropping outside the city, famous for intellectual debates and named for Ares, the Greek god of war. It was sometimes referred to by that god's Roman name. In that case, they called it Mars Hill. I think that clip shows the complexity of this series and of life and ministry and our spirituality. And I love that they closed out that clip with a song about over the run called broken people. And so it, it does really lend itself to this understanding or this journey that we're on in dealing with brokenness. There's a Japanese pottery art called Kensugi. The word means golden joinery referring to the art of repairing broken pottery by mending the broken areas with lacquer glue and gold or other precious metals 
there's a philosophy associated with this art form and it finds value in not hiding or discarding brokenness. Wouldn't that be great if the church embraced it that way too? The process of mending the damage, the trauma, or even the deconstruction of the vessel results in a beautiful piece of art that is stronger and far more valuable than before. How might this art form help us reflect on the process of healing and recovery from toxic relationships, power cultures, and abuse, or specifically hurt or damage experienced from among other from and among Christians? What do you guys think about that? Well, I can start. I just happen to have my own uh, piece of uh, artwork. Those of you on the panel can see it here on the screen. Uh, I was given this gift, this kintsugi uh, bowl several years ago and we stumped one of our members actually he is a principal of a school lives in culver city and he stumbled upon or told me about the concept and i just thought it was so perfect to describe the uh joy and pain of the christian journey and um the the mountaintops and valleys that that we go through but i just love the concept of not hiding the scars or hiding the the wounds but you know, celebrating them in the sense that this is where God has has done His work is through these um, these uh, scars, and I think that those of us that have been around for a while, our generation, perhaps that's one of the best gifts we can give to the next gen is the wisdom that has come from uh, those those difficult times and how uh, you know someone said your heart's strongest not if it's not been broken, but if it's been broken and you've let God rebuild it, you've let God heal it. Um, and, you know, he's, the psalmist says he's close to the brokenhearted. So I just think seeing, using this frame to look at our journey as normal rather than someone who goes through uh, different wounds is the exception. No, every everybody, as Pete Cesaro in his book, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, in chapter four, he talks about the journey through the wall and that every Christian has that journey and, and gets to that point and uh, are stronger if we can, you know, allow God to work through it and not give up uh, on the other side, though still bearing the wounds, we're, we're, we can be stronger for it. So um, I think, I think, look, accepting that it's inevitable given the fallen world in which we live, but it's redemptive if, if we will hold on to God through it. Um, I think that's a, you know, it's hope. You know, I love the concept beauty from the ashes and the beauty is accentuated given where, you know, where it, where it came from. It's really beautifully said. I, I love the authenticity of Kintsugi pottery. Um, there's no performance. There's no role. This idea that, that our scars represent a life lived and that there's an authenticity there. Um, it feels like too often we we're very quick to move towards fixing something or getting over it or um, sort of denying our lived experiences because they're, <clears throat> they can be difficult to talk about. Excuse me. <clears throat> but what Kintsugi does is I think it offers an invitation to present our life well lived, even with the suffering and the scars that we have. Yeah, the Southern writer, uh, Rick Bragg, talks about 
the chariots of his people. And by chariots, he's talking about pickup trucks in the South. And we're proud when our pickup trucks have scratches and dents and uh, you, you can see where they were used and, and, and we don't cover those up. We're actually proud of those. And I wonder if in our own lives, if, if we, we could be proud of the scars and the dents that we've had. Um, you know, we've been dealing with difficult subject matter in this discussion and, um, you know, we recognize the, the faults and the problems, but we, we, we still love the church. Um, but it, it's good to, to let our scars and our dents and our scratches show. I'm laughing at myself because a few years ago I bought a pickup truck and the first thing I noticed was how pristine the bed was. And I'm like, we got to ding that up. It just looks wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, as we heard expressed in this audio clip, you know, these, these hurts, they can produce deep wounds. Some experience deep depression, some have lost their faith, and in some cases, people have taken their own lives. We, we have this conversation and we think about the unique trust that is given to leaders within the church. And when that trust is betrayed, boy, the wounds and the trauma is extreme. Uh, moreover, for many, the trauma is compounded by experiences from their upbringing or family of origin. So how can we better understand and meet the needs of those who have been wounded? How can we keep from kind of, you know, sweeping them and their pain under the carpet to, you know, maintain a culture of positivity and everything's good? How can we better help uh, to meet those needs in in the wounded community? Kevin, I'd also wonder if if in thinking about that question, the panel could think think through or give their impressions on how can we help the culture of the church be one that that um, doesn't hide brokenness so uh, that does show the dents in our trucks and so like how do we respond but also how do we shift our culture to embrace more of of showing our brokenness think that we, we would do well, great, great questions. I think we would do well to, to embrace the, the conviction or notion that uh, people that are out there that we're trying to reach, we're trying to make disciples of and so forth. And all of us, I think, you know, people really do want authenticity. They don't want perfection. They know it doesn't exist. I think sometimes we, 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 we can be tempted to and, and you want to, in one sense, everybody wants to put your best foot forward uh, to a guest, right? You want to, you, you clean up when a guest comes over and, and you, you want first impressions to be good. I'm not saying that we don't need to be our best, but inviting people into the space where we are uh, compared to culture, certainly to a social media culture, where we invite people into the brokenness, uh, sharing, here's, here's where I come from. Uh, you know, having having a, a normal part of our services being testimonials will, where people share the before and after and even the current where where we we say and we celebrate not that we're perfect, but, you know, God, God can, you know, uh, bring 
good things and and create masterpieces out of broken people. And, and I guess really embracing that we're all broken in different places. I don't know. You can be highly functional, very strong, gifted, prolific as a Christian or as a church, but that doesn't mean that you don't have areas, blind spots and, and, and areas of brokenness. So I just think um, having as a regular part of our, our, our discussion, a regular part of what we do in our services. And last thing I'll say, once again, it just you know, I think it's come full circle. We're, we're actually in our church. Uh, we're going through uh, David Bruce is a pastor on our staff and is, you know, an avid reader. He, he I don't know, he would give Alicia a run for her money, although I think Alicia would win. Uh, but um, he's a big <laughs> fan of uh, Pete Cesaro. And so we're going through, I think I shared this before, emotionally healthy spirituality. And because it's our church, we're doing it a chapter a month. <laughs> we have a sister church that's going a chapter a week. I guess they're a little bit, you know, quicker to the take than, than we are, but we know our people, we need to take it slowly to try to really let it sink in. And this particular month we're going, where uh, our uh, theme is origin stories. That's our Sunday series theme starting this Sunday. And we're going through chapter three of the book, which is going back to go forward, which is looking at your family of origin. So another thing we can do is really help people to understand on the front end, we're all shaped really quite a bit from our family of origin. And then we bring that into the church and it's not, we're not prisoners of it, but we are products of it. So how, just up front saying, this is who we are and let's embrace it and let's see what, what God can do with it. I've been thinking this week, wondering, I haven't done the, the research to, to make an assertion, but I do wonder how we could bolster our training, say, at the collegiate level um, for mental health, addiction health, trauma-informed practices related to pastoral ministry, um, and, and maybe it's there. I, I'm kind of eager to kind of do some exploring, but, but certainly the training that we have as pastors and as uh, people coming out of our Bible colleges, we need, we need an increase, I, dare I say, maybe a little less emphasis on exegesis and a little more emphasis on the mental health and trauma-informed care um, uh, and I certainly see that exegesis is important in hermeneutics, but but clearly the the preponderance of the number of incidents, whether it's sexual behaviors, uh, in other immoral behaviors, these narcissistic behaviors, that, that there's a level of trauma being introduced here that suggests another layer of care that perhaps we need to really seriously consider in, in the way that we train ourselves. And I love what you're doing, Kevin, at your church to have cogent discussions and reading authors who are addressing this head on, I think is, is a way that we can do that outside the formal training that, that pastors get. Well, and, and perhaps not just pastors and preachers and ministers, depending on which stream you're in, church elders. And, you know, we have a lot of volunteer servants who step in to lead churches and elder bodies around the country and, you know, to offer ways maybe through some of our universities and colleges and Bible colleges 
to help equip them to deal with trauma and and issues like this. So, boy, well, really well good said. point. Great point. Yeah, when the song came out, I don't know how many years ago it was. The song "Mighty to Save." Um, we we took that one Sunday at the church here, and we did something called Cardboard Testimony Sunday. We're not the only people who have done it. Y'all have seen this done before. But um, we went to people and asked, would you be willing to share? And for a moment, would you take off the mask? And what I think Brennan Manning calls the imposter that lives in all of us. And so people, while that song was played, would go up on stage and they turn their cardboard over to reveal what their struggle was. And we had elders do it and elders' wives and preachers and ministers and their wives and there was this sense throughout the congregation, like, wow, um, maybe, maybe church can become a safe place. But I, I think to the point that y'all have already made, um, we intentionally look to, to create these safe environments. And, and Alicia, you, I think what you said cannot be overemphasized. We've got to do so much better with mental health issues and the trauma that, that people are dealing with. And and, and start off with, I think, Tina, you said in a previous episode, sometimes people just need to hear someone say, I am sorry. And, and maybe you weren't the one that inflicted the trauma, but there's healing when someone can hear someone else say, I am sorry for what, what happened to you. Um, but yeah, I think those are those are steps that, that we need to continue to, to take. Do you all think that there is some kind of risk when churches do that? Like, what is the weight of making a decision like that been for you guys to have a service like that? Is there so much weight on those things that it makes it hard for churches to, to step out that way? The risk is um, there's two sins we don't talk about very much in the church, especially here in the South, uh, gluttony and gossip. And, um, you know, there's a sense where you can't share your story with everybody because not everyone can handle your story or will be safe with your story. And, and that, that's taken a big risk there. How can we create a safe environment like a Celebrate Recovery group? How, how can right. we do that uh, in the church? But addressing the hurt, because if, if we don't hurt people, then carry that hurt into other relationships we see this with churches right there's a big split at a church and another church is planted and 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 nothing has ever worked through and hurt just is multiplied to more people yeah and, and never really dealt with but um but i think tina that that's a really good question because i'm not sure the church has always been a safe place for us to share our scars and our hurts i think we need to recover a, a sense of sense of, or gosh, I don't even have the words for it, but like a theology of suffering. And, you know, reading, I, I reread uh, St. John of the Cross, uh, Dark Night of the Soul this week, just thinking about, I just wanted to remember mm -hmm. what he said about the role of suffering. And it was, it was, it just brought up all these feelings about how how quickly we move to a get over it, fix it orientation rather than seeing what God is doing in the midst of suffering and creating that safe 
space within which people can can sit with suffering, sit with their scars while they're healing. And you know, sometimes I think it's our own. We've been in, we've been um, influenced by the culture in a way that we really get to a fix it, move on, get over it, uh, set a verbiage rather than sitting with the difficulties people are having because they make us feel uncomfortable. I mean, we want to, we don't want to hear about all that or, you know, there's lots, lots of things that I've heard people say in response to I'm having a bad day, you know, and, and I think that's something that we can do better. And, and maybe it starts with really looking at how, how suffering was treated in the scriptures and how God used that as a way to maybe deconstruct and then reconstruct. It's the transformative aspect of who God is. This is just me thinking out loud. <laughs> it's great. I think there's a risk either way. So if you, if you decide to be transparent, there's a risk, but if you don't, there's a, a, also a risk and it's greater. And we all have seen that's, you know, what happened over time, short term, you can, you can advance without being transparent. And, and, and if you're dealing with a younger demographic, Hey, you know, that was terrible, but th that, that episode or that season or that uh, trauma was bad and, and, you know, try to tell people to get over it. Uh, but in the long haul, those, they accrue, you know, they accumulate just back to the Mars Hill podcast, the idea of, you know, people are going to get run over by the bus or whatever. And, and then that the, those that have had that experience, there's a, there's a critical mass and they're, they're more than not. And so I just think we have an opportunity even now midstream to reset. What do we value most? What, what do, do we, do we want whatever is going to produce the, quickest, uh, the, the most new people, the, the, um, you know, the highest number of baptisms this month or this quarter or this year, or, or do we want a, a long suffering, faithful Jesus community through generations? And are we willing to take the time and to let God do that? You can't do it quickly, you know, um, that, that will last. And I, and so, I think there there risks both ways, and it makes me think about the, you know, uh, I I think the beauty of the church is, you know, you come in the level of intimacy we have, the invitation, come to my into my home, join my community group. We don't vet people, we don't do background checks, you know, and obviously for children's ministry and things like that. But we are a whoso a whosoever will, and and that's beautiful. It's who we should be. But also there aren't the typical guardrails that are in educational circles, business circles, in, in church world. And so that does create a higher risk. If you're going to love someone like Jesus did, there, there's risk there. But I, So I think we have to be honest about it. But also that's the only way you're going to have the intimacy, uh, the authentic intimacy and, let, and, and uh, you know, Christ-likeness in your fellowship is, hey, I'm willing, you're worth, me loving you is worth the risk. Uh, and and so I think that you, you can't avoid that. By the, by the same token, I do think teaching on, you know, Matthew 10, I think Jesus, the limited commission, you need, you need to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. I think we need to do more education to our people, mental health issues, 
family of origin issues, personality disorders, these kinds of things, so that we can, while we are welcoming, we also are more educated in, in different things that we're dealing with that people in the world and we deal with. So I think it's both. You're highlighting something here that's, that, that's uh, human messiness is a risk for leadership. And I'm speaking here from as an organizational change consultant, um, more than so than a church person. But one of the things that I've noticed down through the years is the human human impacts related to change within an organization. Leaders either poo poo, or they ignore altogether, or they 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 can take a hierarchical. Well, those people need to get with the program kind of approach. And I'm being grossly general here, but um, one of the the messiness of organizations is that there's humans in it. <laughs> and that can create a risk for, for leaders who have a vision, we're gonna go this way, and here's my timeline, and we've got these 10 steps and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, somebody's not with it. That they're resisting, there's there's hurt, there's, there's lots of stuff. I mean, William Bridges wrote a really fantastic book about managing transitions because he was trying to address these human responses to change and how the behaviors that can come out of that. And, and, and I'm being a little bit tongue in cheek, but human messiness is, is a risk for leaders because it can, it can, in their mind, derail the objective if, if their process program numbers driven versus relational community hospitality that changes our orientation so it's going to take longer but everybody's on board you know it changes our orientation towards time and drive when relational tops the program and the effort that we're trying to enact absolutely yeah, this is the kind of ministry that you know we read about here in the Isaiah passage. So many ministers, I think, tend to get their um, their model for ministry from you know church growth seminars where we're very numbers driven and and show success, show growth, and uh, the, the kind of ministry we're describing here that the prophet spoke of and that Jesus came to perform was in part that of binding up the brokenhearted. That takes time. Now that takes sitting with people. It takes listening well. And boy, if you've got to continually produce certain numbers or results or show that you're adding this or that ministry, uh, it's easy to just kind of hope people will get over it so that we can get on with it and get on with the things that matter more to us. But boy, this binding up the brokenhearted mattered much to God. You know, it's right here in this text that we started out with. I think in the first episode, we talked about how we measure success. And and that is kind of an underlying thing in what we're talking about now. I don't have any kids, but I've recently uh, stayed with some teenage boys. And when their parents would call at night, they were like, did you guys have a good day? I said, we did. Everybody's alive. And I just no. thought, that's the success for me. Everybody yeah. made it to school. Everybody made it home. No, nobody's got in any trouble. So it's all good. So I think it's, it comes back to that thing where it, 
is how we that what value we place on success and how that's defined. Yep, how we measure it. And, um, you know, certainly, I know we're all aware that we're, I think, coming out of the pandemic, and it's becoming an it being endemic. And of course, just just when I say that, it'll be another variant. But, you know, uh, I have a, a friend who is a LMFT, and he, he doesn't have enough hours for the patients that the people that want to see him. And so we already know that, um, you know, we came, our, our country, you know, has some, we all have, um, you know, higher mental health strains and so forth. And so coming out of this pandemic, everything, the knobs have been turned up to 11 in terms of people's pain level, uh, you know, mental health issues, emotional health issues. And so, now, I mean, if ever we're going to pay attention to this, we certainly need to do it now. And I think we all want to get going. Hey, wow, that was a rough couple of years. Let's put press the pedal and and and, and let's make up for lost time. And I really, I don't think that's where the spirit, at least that's not what he's saying to me. He's saying, yeah, make haste slowly, move, proceed forward, definitely we don't do anyone a service if you just wallow by the same token there is a time ecclesiastes 3 is a season to heal to you know there, there's a season to bind there's a season to to move forward and i i just we need to pay attention to do both you know rehabilitate uh, as i we had two uh guys that are uh, doctors of physical therapy share at our at our church a few months ago talking about once you had a the body's had a trauma how do you heal from it? And there's a certain level of uh, amount of time where you don't do anything, but then there is a time when you need to rehabilitate, where you need to get some physical activity going to get the muscles going and so forth. And to not do that, to continue not doing it, something actually hurts the, the patient. So I, it feels to me like that's the season we're in now where we need to get all you get let's get moving but let's do it in a rehabilitative way understanding we have just come through a group trauma not to mention all the individual the lost loved ones alone right from the past couple of years the 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 children whose academic schedule has been disrupted uh, milestones in life that have been missed there's a lot we're coming out of and, and we do well not to pretend we're not coming out of it and, and try to move too fast. Well, and, and it seems like maybe there's this sense in which um, we, we think we're going to hurt our witness to the world if people know that we've got too much trauma or we've created trauma. And so we kind of want to cover that up and not project that into the community. But the problem is it spills out into the community. <laughs> And, and we worsen our witness by not being places of healing. And, and wouldn't it be a, a wonderful thought to think that churches in handling the hurt, even hurt that leaders have created in being a place of healing, that would actually speak volumes into the community about the love and care of that place. That Yeah, we, we, we acknowledge that at times hurt people are here because we've maybe not operated according to the things that Jesus taught us. And, uh, and yet we face up to those things and we love those people and we try to help them and sit with them in their suffering. 
Seems like that would, in, in a time when people are becoming increasingly skeptical about churches and religion because of, of trauma created by churches, it seems like that would be a wonderful testimony and witness mm-hmm. uh, to the world. The audio clip that we played, it talks about the tension of hoping for reconciliation and the realization that in some cases, uh, those who have caused damage may never humble themselves or repent or repair the damage they've created. Um, Toxic leaders often double down or move on and they leave these broken relationships that we've been talking about in their wake. And sometimes they get a pass because of their charisma or celebrity status. And then those who are left are kind of hurt and left with broken pieces. When you come across such cases, how does one that might be listening to this podcast, how do you find healing when maybe you feel like there's no justice or no repair or reconciliation? How do we, uh, how do we regain peace and wholeness when some organizations insulate and protect dysfunctional leaders? Wow, that is such a great question. Um, I was, I, I am, comes to mind, I was at a really encouraging baptism of a dear family friend and 20 plus year member family. Their oldest daughter uh, was baptized this past Sunday night. And I remember the mom sharing that, uh, and, and it was great. You know, kids were running the front lawn and backyard and you know, playing around the pool. And it's about, I mean, so many people, like 70 people gathered in this house. It was a mad, but it was a glorious madhouse. And, uh, and mom shared that, you know, I know that there's so much good done. And I also know in, in this ministry, there's been damage done, but look at what God has done even with that. So I just thought it was a beautiful recognition of both that when you're when you're in close proximity to human beings, you know, uh, my friend said, you know, every human being is glorious and obnoxious depending on the day. And <laughs> I think, um, <laughs> you know, you can't you can't have one without the other. But but I would I would just say, uh, Kevin, getting having these open conversations to say sometimes people don't don't humble out. Like you said, they don't, they, they, that's part, that's the MO actually of a particular personality type and type of leader is to double down or move on and, and, and just being honest about that. But I think for those that have, of, uh, you know, suffered that first of all, sorry, very sorry for that. But secondly, um, get into a community where you were, where encourage people to get in. There are safe communities where, People, other people have experienced that, but in the sense of, I think Ben said it earlier, just the acknowledgement of I'm sorry. And even if the person, the perpetrator won't own it, a community saying, we know it, we acknowledge it, we own it, we're sorry for you can, can lead to some healing. I think sometimes we have to be surrogates because we can't, you can't bring some, only God can bring someone to repentance. So that's what I would say. I like the word you kept using, Kevin, community. I think that's so important. 
um, one of the biggest lies we tell ourselves is no one can understand. No one, no one has been in this situation. And what we've seen throughout this discussion in this series is uh, there's a lot, a lot of hurt people uh, in the church, and 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 letting people know that they're not alone. Um, I think it's First Kings 19. After Elijah had that epic confrontation with the prophets of Baal in the previous chapter. Um, I think that put any one of us on a spiritual high, but, you know, Elijah goes running for his life and he winds up in a cave and um, God says, what are you doing here? And there's this great wind, but God's not in the wind. There's an earthquake. God's not in the earthquake. There's a fire. God's not in the fire. And then there's a gentle whisper and it's God speaking to Elijah and telling Elijah you think you're alone, but there's 7,000 others. You're not alone. So I think telling people you're not alone and also practicing the art of sitting with people and sharing their grief. Uh, Job's friends, they did good initially. They went and sat with him for, what, seven days? And then they opened their mouths and, and ruined everything, right? But... um. So. <laughs> Well said. I think one of the hardest things is when, when there's, you've got this point of, of conflict with a person and there's something about their personhood, they just, they double down or they project onto you that it's all, it's all about you or, or what have you. I just, I'm thinking of a specific situation where at the time, a friend, a good friend gave me a book called, said, Lish, you need to read this. It's by Marilee Adams. And since then, I've in, incorporated it into my my coaching practices. But it's change your questions, change your life. And and so on the strengths finder, I'm, I'm a high relator. So like once you're in my life, I'm like a dog. You're never going to be out of my life. I'm going to be there. That's just how I'm wired. And the, I, I just couldn't get over the fact that this person wasn't willing to see my hurt and frustration. And I just, I just couldn't get over it. But anyway, Adam says, says that what you can do is acknowledge those feelings, whatever you're feeling in response to another person. And then you can dig a little deeper and, and understand what is the value, the the part of your DNA and the, your soul that's hurt in the, that case and name it and bring it out for examination? Does that change the fact that that person hurt your feelings? No, but it, it can help you not be consumed by the getting the response that you don't want <laughs> to rectify the relationship in a way that, that you see as healthy and whole. And, and I think that that's one of the things that I, when I've worked with leaders using this book, change your questions, change your life. It's just about getting in and understanding what is the response bubbling up within me based on my lived experience, the way God has made me, et cetera. And what can I do with that in a healthy way? It doesn't change the fact that I respond that way, but it does help me to reframe my response in a way that's more healthy for me 
and allow me to move forward instead of, I, I can never change another person, but but perhaps I can change how I respond and 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 not be so overtaken by it. We've looked at um, these different episodes and kind of like what the situation is, what are the similarities in application for our movement. And so as we move into that part of our conversation, we do come from a rich heritage. The Stone Campbell movement has a lot to offer the world and to the broader Christian community. And so as we move toward a brighter future within our movement, how do we lean into the positive narratives and reimagine or discard the negative ones? Well, one thing I might might think about here is the narratives that we, the way we use to describe ourselves. So, um, I think narratives, the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we tell each other, are really powerful. For example, um, within our heritage, we have as part of our history the split, and and I hear a lot of narratives about the split. And so one of the things that I've been thinking about with regard to our movement, if we look at it from throughout history, we're also highly entrepreneurial and collaborative at times with one another in ways that that serve this entrepreneurial spirit. So what would happen if we changed our narratives to emphasize the entrepreneurial spirit among us? And not that the split didn't happen. I mean, we know it happened as part of our history, but thinking about the narratives we're telling and the values those narratives emanate and then adjusting the narratives to to sort of resemble a new future together, I think is maybe something that we could consider within our movement. I think that something that has worked in with couples or in, in, in organizations I know that you know uh, we've I've heard advice before. So once a week, like say, get with your uh, significant other. Perhaps it's a spouse. Perhaps it's a close friend, roommate, uh, but someone. It's in your circle of life that you do life with, and it could be what's one thing you know that you really appreciate. What's one thing we're doing well? What's one thing? What's one area that we can improve in? And I think. Um, if, if we were to adopt that kind of approach, just being open-handed, okay, what's one thing we're really, we look back on the Stone Camel movement, our heritage, and of course we come from different streams. So maybe we, we look more fondly back on different parts of, you know, the Stone Campbell movement, but what's, what's one area, whether it's maybe fidelity to the word or it's evangelistic zeal, or if it's a missionary, uh, spirit or conviction about serving the poor, loving the poor. There, there are so many great strengths and, you know, historic uh, high points. But then also, okay, what's one thing that, where does God want me to grow? Where What's a blind spot that I've been, you know, maybe slower to see that we can embrace? So this year, what can we really tackle? What, what, what area can we really lean into? For me, I think there's so much possibility there. And it's, I, I think there's a temptation to feel like if I admit a deficit or a weakness or a blind spot, that that I'm saying that, you know, we're not the be all end all. And that's true. We're, we're not. We're, you know, we're uh, 
treasures of grace, right? But but I think that that just living that way, uh, living that way, trophies of grace, living that way makes sense. Okay, here's a strength. How can we emphasize it? Here's an area for growth. How do we how do we work on it? And even holding that tension just generally and and letting people know, hey, I'm wide open. Uh, what's an area you, you know you think that's going well? What's an area you think could stand growth? Obviously, we're dealing with the gender, uh, the the big gender issues of our day. We're dealing with the or or at least the the race issues of our day are, are front and center as two big ones, <laughs> but there, I, I know there are a number of others. So that that's what I would say is just, just accept room for growth without seeing it as an indictment or an invalidation of all the good that is, that's been there. That is there. Yeah. When we look at our own families, we see issues, we see the warts. Uh, it doesn't mean we love our families any less. Um, but we're aware of those things, and I think we look the same way at our history. We see the warts in our history and things we wish did not happen, and, well, how can we keep those from happening again? How can we help provide a, a healing environment? And so it's the stories. I think uh, Alicia uh, mentioned this a minute ago. We keep telling these stories about the incredible displays of humility that brought people together, Barton Stone. One of the greatest things Barton Stone left us was an emphasis on the spirit of Christ. Uh, you know, not not just getting uh, everything right, like precision obedience, but actually uh, we can be wrong if we don't have the spirit of Christ. And, and that was one of the things he taught us. And I mean, imagine if Barton Stone had an outrageous ego. Imagine how that would have gone with Campbell. Um, I don't think that unity meeting in uh, Lexington ever would have taken place. And then I think about people like Carl Ketcherside, um, who one time wrote um, that I shall be a brother to all who have been begotten of my father. Brotherhood based upon fatherhood, fraternity based upon paternity. This shall be my standard because it is scriptural. So one of the reasons we do the hard work of dealing with trauma and realizing this is a process and not fixed overnight and it's painful to deal with it is because we love each other. We have one common father and just sweeping stuff under the rug or telling people to get over it is not going to lead to healing in our, in our churches. Let's shift gears then just a little bit. I, I think we've been heading in this direction. You know, we're, we're trying to get to the Jesus way of, of ministry and doing the things that we're talking about. What, what comes to mind? What lessons can we learn from, from Jesus about dealing with hurt and suffering folks and betrayal and abuse? Um, what thoughts come to mind, panel? Well, I have a practical, practical activity that, that I want to speak directly to people who are hurting. Um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Walmart or Target or someplace like that and buy yourself a lampshade, one of those old-timey cloth ones or whatever, 
paper. And on the outside, I want you to include images. They can be cut out of magazines. They could be off the web. They could be photographs. They could be words. That's your public face. What are, what are you showing to the world uh, about how you're thinking, feeling, being? And, and just fill it up with those images of your public face. And on the inside, the place of the lampshade where we, we rarely look, really, I want you to do the same practice, but say, what am I really feeling? What am I really thinking? What is the darkness within me that I, I just can't put words to? Whether you can't put words because, you know, it's not a safe space or you're just a, afraid of the feelings that you're having within your own body. Give that, give those feelings a, a physical space within which to exist. And so when you're done, you'll have your lampshade that you can place in your safe space, your office or your private room or your man cave or whatever that looks like, where you're acknowledging physically your outside and your inside. And then as you're looking at what you've created, I just want to encourage you with these things. One, embrace suffering as a seasonal journey. The Ecclesiastes says that we'll have suffering. There's a season for things. Acknowledge it as, as a season that you're going through. Remember that suffering is the space where God is at work. Acknowledge who God is in that moment, that this is not in vain. It's not something to get over. It's not something to move through quickly. God is at work within you. Develop a new relationship with time. We in our society think that we just need to get over it, move on to the next thing, etc. Suffering happens on God's time. And God's time is not restricted to the clock. So you're on a journey, you're on God's time, just embrace his timing is good. And then the fourth thing I would say, and this is one of my favorite scriptures, there's so many, rest in Psalm 46:10. be still and know that I am God. Whatever has happened to you happened, the feelings you're feeling are real, you've given them a physical physicality to the degree that you can set those aside and just sit with the acknowledgement that God is God and he is present. Alicia, I think that it's great that you gave a tangible way for people to process through this. We've had a lot of conversation. We've um, pointed to different resources, but to have a practical way people can um, respond and apply kind of what we've talked about seems super helpful. And I will be doing that exercise myself because I do think it's really important and think God can help us heal when we can be clear about what our hurt is. What are some other things guys that you think are, are things that Jesus would say to us or, or examples that best practices, things like that. I'm, I'm thinking about, John 16, you know, the last supper and 
Jesus knows what's coming. He's washed the disciples' feet. He knows that he's about to go through unspeakable pain and that they're going to betray him and so forth. And, you know, he says, uh, I've told you these things in John 16, verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So it's just moving. And in the, in the moment of suffering, it doesn't take the pain away or the, the, the suffering away at all, but there's an acknowledgement that, yeah, this is trouble. Jesus said it, it I'd, I'd have it, but you know, that, that admonition to take heart, like, don't, don't, all is not lost. Don't, don't lose heart because, you know, I've, I've experienced this, uh, the world and I've overcome. And so I'm going to, through me, you will overcome. So, and then that being able to have some peace, knowing that I'm not the only one that has been brokenhearted or lost a loved one or been betrayed or suffered a reversal. And I can, I can ultimately my, my whole, you know, my whole life, my sustenance, hope for the future is based on Jesus having overcome the world and then uh, allowing me to do so through him. I am so enamored by the restoration of Peter in John 21. Peter denied Jesus, and we all know that story. One of the gospel writers actually says that after the third time Peter denied Jesus, that Jesus turned and looked directly at him. It's a devastating moment of betrayal, and the pain that anybody feels who has been betrayed and how Jesus goes about ministering to Peter is fascinating. Um, he, he, he uses the language of restoration, the language of love, um, the language of, of service, the language of come, come follow me. He, he invites Peter despite Peter's failure and I think one aspect of creating safe communities is that that we deal with help people like Jesus did with Peter. Like your your trauma is not your failure, your hurt is not your failure. Um, what's happened to you? But we also create an environment where where those in leadership who have abused their powers can be ministered to, and and not only repentance, but we can actually help people develop healthier behaviors um, and and to realize there is redemption uh, for those who do the harm and, and for those who have been harmed. And I, I know that's a huge daunting task, but um, but I just go back and look at how Jesus, Jesus um, ministered to Peter. And I think there's a lot there. Well, those are some terrific thoughts kind of wind our discussion down and and bring this to a close um i want to say uh, on behalf of all of us at, at common grounds and this podcast involved with it including our producer john we, we it has been just a delight to have this conversation group 
And uh, I know that Tina and I are going to miss this weekly discussion group. This has been, I, I feel like I have, I've sat in on many seminars about a host of topics that are needed in leadership uh, that have blessed me. And I know that's true of our listeners as well. So I want to thank each of you for, uh, for these good, excellent conversations we've had. Um, and before we wrap things up, Tina, anything you'd like to share? Uh, I know you feel similarly. Yeah, I think this has been a perfect example of how we build relationships and community when we have conversations. And so I really feel blessed that now I'm in community and relationship with Kevin and Ben and Alicia in a, in a different way. And that, that builds the body that in, enhances who I am as a believer. And I hope that that is a good example to others on when you have conversations about things that are hard, it leads to a really beautiful place. Tina, you raise a really important point. A part of our goal on our Common Grounds Unity podcast is to model how to have good discussions about difficult subjects. And man, this team has modeled it well. Um, so we hope you all come back in the future and, and we'll get together to talk about some other things. Let me ask you a closing question. You know, we, we do this with all of our guests, so I'm going to do it with you guys before you get away. Um, if we were to come to your community and sit down and have a larger conversation and get together at a, at a local coffee shop, um, Alicia, Ben, Kevin, how would you take your coffee? Coffee, cream, and sugar, <clears throat> or Splenda. I have Splenda. All right. Bold. Bold. Well, yeah. Bold. Bold. Okay. Just, just black. Don't add anything to it. So I'd probably have a green tea or something like that, or uh, you know, or a pop, as they say. I grew up saying pop. I guess soda would be probably Alicia and Ben would say soda, but. Yeah, not a coffee drinker, but would be happy to sit there with you and watch you drink your favorite coffee with a, with a pop or <laughs> green tea. Well, with I'd Kevin love to have a cup of coffee. Go ahead. Kevin with them ben. and Tina, if y'all come to my community, I'm making you gumbo. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, well, that's, yeah, that's better we're, than coffee. We're coming. We, we've <laughs> got to have a reunion coffee. of this group. We uh -huh. are better than coffee. Her truck. <laughs> yeah. yeah you got we can see both of your pickup trucks with all, all the dents in them, all absolutely the man that's an easy sell right there <laughs> well again it has just been uh, great to have dr alicia crumpton ben brewster kevin holland tina so great to be be with you uh, next week we're going to be starting a new series titled the time to tear down and a time to build take it from ecclesiastes chapter three at verse three in this series, we're going to be talking about areas where we as a movement might need some remodeling or renovation. We're going to consider some things that might need to be removed before we build for the future. Our first guest is Mark Nelson, who co-authored Reformation, Seeing God, People, and Mission Through Reenchanted Frames. And Alicia, you're going to be back with me to host the next couple of podcasts, so I'll look forward to that. Until then, let me say to our uh, listeners, grab a cup of coffee, a beverage, or, or a meal with another disciple of Jesus outside your family of churches, because unity starts with a cup of coffee or a cup of green tea if you're getting with Kevin Holland. <laughs> Blessings, everybody. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity podcast. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. You can subscribe to the essays, join our Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. And please check out the gatherings page where you can connect with other unity-minded Christians in your area. If you can't find a gathering in your area, we can help you start one. It's not difficult or time-consuming, and we'll help you out along the way. It really does simply start with a cup of coffee. If you want to volunteer or ask questions, please email john at commongroundsunity.org. And lastly, we need your help by donating to this ministry of reconciliation. Your donation is tax-deductible. Links for donating are in the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless, and remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.